This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Hi, I'm Joan Neuberger, editor of Not Even Past, and your host for this episode of 15 Minute History. Today our guest is Dinah Ramey Berry, and she teaches African American history in the History Department at the University of Texas at Austin. And today we're going to be speaking about what she calls the senses of slavery, a teaching pedagogy. Hi, Dinah. Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you here. This is such a fascinating project. Why don't you just start off by telling us what you mean by the census of slavery and how you use it? So a lot of times when I say it, people think I'm talking about the census, the enumeration of counting people, but I'm actually talking about our senses, you know, the touch, sight, sound, smell, and hear. It's a pedagogy I've created over the years on how to teach slavery in a way where students can really tap into understanding the institution. And by, by tapping into their senses, I found that they were able to connect to a history that was not only horrific to some, embarrassing to others, painful, it angered some folks, and or they felt like, oh, it was too long ago, I can't really understand what happened then. By tapping into their senses, I brought it to the present. That's one of the reasons why I use this in my teaching. Well, let's start with some examples. Um, what about the sense of touch? How do you connect our own sense of touch with slavery? So one of the things I do is I have I bring in cotton, since cotton is the major. When people think about slavery in the United States, they often think of these large cotton plantations. So I'll bring in cotton, or I'll tell the students, if I'm dealing with a younger group of kids, I'll tell them to bring cotton to school. I don't tell them what kind. So some of them will bring in a T-shirt. Some of them might bring in some cotton balls or a Q-tip or something. And then we'll talk about, you know, what does it feel like? And then I'll bring in raw cotton. And I have these cotton kits that show all the different stages of cotton production from when it's, you know, in the bowl and how they have to take it out of the cotton bowl, filling the seed that's in there, the leaves, the dirt. So they're really getting a sensory sense of that touch. Um, I've also brought in rice and um, had them shine rice with a mortar and a pestle they're actually pounding the rice to see how it changes. They're also using their sight because they see how it shines. And then also looking at tobacco and tobacco leaves, um, raw sugar. So I bring in all the the types of crops that enslaved people worked on, and then we do a lesson on slave labor, but they're also touching and feeling and understanding the crop that they worked with. Mm -hmm. So you can go from touching the actual things that slaves touched as they were working Mm -hmm. to a lesson about what that work was like. Exactly. Yeah, you can see how that would work with students of a lot of different ages. Well, what about sight? It's funny, we're talking about these separately, but I actually try to bring them in all at the same time. So uh-huh. if on a lecture on, on labor, if they're touching the cotton, I'll bring images of former slaves picking cotton or field photographs, um, which is difficult because we don't have that many photographs. We have a lot of them from the late 19th century, after slavery was over, and these were former slaves picking cotton. Um, but we also have images of those during the Civil War, and we have some images of slaves. We have a lot of sketches. Um, so we'll bring some of those in. Um, we'll also look at videos. If you know some of the videos where there's still photographs, where scholars, the PBS specials, where they've done you know reenactments, so they can see that. Um, 
when I was teaching at another institution, we were there was a cotton field not far. So one of my classes, we went, this was a college class, we went and we, we picked cotton. And so the students got to see what it felt like, you know, and imagine what it would be like to do that for 12 to 15 or 18 hours a day. Um, so giving them ways to make them look at the site, to see slavery. So what, what kinds of things would sla- enslaved people have seen? What do the cabins look like? What do the fields look like? Um, also looking at urban forms of slavery. You know, if you're working in a factory, they were brick making. So I'd bring in a brick and they'd say, oh, I didn't know slaves worked in factories, you know, or coal. Um, and so I'd make sure they see and feel all the different, you know, products that enslaved people produced. Yeah, it's really interesting how even just hearing you talk about it, bringing in a brick or mm-hmm. touching cotton really brings something to life in a way. Um, okay, so let's see. What about taste? So Do you get yeah. to feed them? <laughs> well, actually, I, I make that a project for my classes, not every semester. But um, I've done that where one of my students' group, I had group projects, and they did a project on slave nutrition and health. And they looked at how many calories. We looked at enslaved diets. So we looked at the kind of food that plantation records show that they ate. So salt pork, cornbread, um, hominy. Um, and we look at different recipes. And so one, one time we, we did a full sensory discussion slash um, experiment where we were actually eating the cornbread based on a recipe that we found. Um, we were trying some okra and collard greens, you know. Um, and so it was really kind of neat. And the students enjoyed that while we learned about diet, health, nutrition. We looked at calorie intake, you know, how, much, cal- how many calories are they burning, thinking about, you know, picking cotton or working in a rice field for that long. So we were looking at all the imbalance, and, and then that explained some of the health issues we had read about. So it really allowed them to connect in ways that they hadn't necessarily thought about. Mm-hmm. And so then do you connect um, taste with smell? Absolutely. Absolutely. And smell actually w- was hard for me at first when I first started doing this. Um, I would bring in liquid smoke. And the only reason why I knew about liquid smoke is my grandmother sometimes used that in um, her collard greens. Instead of putting in pork, she'd put in liquid smoke, and my mother did too. So I would, I would bring that in because oftentimes in the fields in the early part of the season, in January through March, where they were preparing the fields, enslaved people had to burn the crops from the previous year. So often and those that live in the South, um, you'll drive through and you'll see, you know, different parts of the crops being burned as they're preparing the fields for the following um, planting season. Um, So I'd bring in that as a smell, but I'd also have them smell raw tobacco and cotton. Um, I'd bring in raw forms of of that. I'd bring in the oil version of cotton seeds. Um, And so those are some of the things that that we used to smell. We'd also smell the foods. Mm -hmm. So that was another way to connect the students to the work. Mm -hmm. And finally, what about hearing? What about sound? That actually was was a lot easier than I thought, Um, primarily because enslaved people sang um, work songs while they were working in the fields. They sang um, spiritual songs in church services, um, whether they were at praise meetings, whether they were by a tree, or whether they were in an organized church hall or, you know, a church setting. Um, And so I would play slave spirituals. And one of the songs that I really like, these are accessible um, now through the Library of Congress. They're the voices from the days of slavery. And there's a number of songs on their website where you can listen to former slaves actually singing songs that they sang during slavery. One of my favorite is one by an enslaved man named Wallace Quarterman, and he was enslaved on St. Simon's Island, Georgia, and he sang a song called Jesus is a Rock in a Weary Land. My God is a rock in a weary land, weary land in a weary land. My God is a rock in a weary land, children in the time of the storm. Stop me. 
let me tell you about the chapel of fools. The Lord God visit all among the fools. Something let me tell you about the chapel of fine. The Lord God brought all those dead alive. Something let me tell you about the chapel of sin. He went in Jerusalem and healed his sins. And I know he's a rock in the weary land. Weary land, in the weary land. My God is a rock in the weary land. Shelter in the time of storm. Wow, that's very moving. Um, how do your students respond to the to these songs? Do they seem familiar in some ways, completely unfamiliar? So what I do is I'll bring, and if we're doing music for the day, just music, I'll bring in songs that they may have even heard of in their own church congregations. Um, and then I'll bring in songs that they may have not heard at all. Um, I also bring in the lyrics, which is the sight part, so they can actually read the words of the song. And they can talk about the hidden meanings. We analyze the lyrics. We think about you know, what they might have been saying, what hidden messages, why they might have chose to sing that song. Um, when they hear the audio files, like the one we just listened to, they're always amazed at their voices. They're, it, they're embedded within the slave narratives, which are also on the Library of Congress website. And so they'll hear them talking. They'll say, well, the slaves don't sound angry. They don't sound bitter. They don't, you know, they're talking about praying for people. And, and then they hear their prayers, and then they hear the songs. And so it allows them to feel a sense of closeness to the group of people we're studying that, you know, having them read a book, on a, just reading words on a page is so flat. Mm-hmm. It seems very flat. It's not, it's not multidimensional like it is to hear the song, to read the words, and then to look at the photograph of the person that's singing. So that's right there tapping into three or four of the senses that we've already discovered. It seems that putting all these senses together, all these aspects of everyday life, helps students relate to slaves as familiar human beings. They work, they cook. They sing and dance together. And really, this is something that all historians really try and do, to see the past as both familiar and different. Um, but that also seems to normalize slavery in a way. How do, how do you use the senses to bridge the normality of everyday life um, with the degradation and violence that were also part of the everyday life of enslaved people? That's a really good question, and it is something that I deal with every time I teach, um, partly because... Students are often looking for a place to enter, and so by giving them, you know, music and song and things that are familiar, they can enter into this conversation about slavery in a way that they're comfortable. But they also sometimes want to distance themselves when they hear about the brutality, or they don't want to look at it, or they don't want to have to think about it, because it's so hard to hear, or the stories that are told, or the descriptions that we have of brutal whippings, um, beatings, you know, children having to whip their parents or witness husbands whipping, witnessing whip, whippings of their wives and vice versa. Um, or watching, you know, remembering and recalling the sound of their mother's cry after they were separated at the auction block. So it's, it's tough to balance that. Um, but it's one of the ways that I try to is to show the diversity of slavery and talk about one person may not have ever been sold. They might have stayed on the same plantation for their entire lives, whereas other people might have changed hands four or five times. So when I talk about the stories or we're reading narratives where enslaved people are describing brutality, whippings, you know, all kinds of violence, um, then there's others where they rarely saw that or rarely experienced that. So it's, it's sort of 
by allowing students to understand that this was a very diverse institution, depending on where you lived, what kind of crop you produced, the attitude of your owner was key to an enslaved person's experience, the number of slaves on the plantation, you know, the number of family members that were present, biological or fictive. Um, all of that mattered. And by remembering that, when we talk about song and dance and music and food, that's, those were just coping mechanisms because these were human beings and they had to live. Do you find that talking about these sort of everyday experiences um, actually help students or hinder students in, when they're then confronted with the, with the violence of, of slavery? Absolutely. I, um, I did an experiment this past fall with my um, undergraduate class here at the University of Texas, and I brought the students to see 12 Years a Slave. And I teach all my classes with the senses in mind. Even when students do presentations, they have to think about trying to tap into two or three of the senses in their course presentations. And if they can get all five, that's, that's you know, I know I've done my job. Um, but anyways, we did, we went to the, the screening of the film, and I knew I would, I would be able to get them to feel. I know they would get the sense of touch because they would be emotionally moved by the film. I had already seen it. Um, the sight of what they would see. A lot of people say when they've seen videos or movies on slavery or documentaries, it's the first time that they had, they never had that kind of imagination. They might have read it, but what they imagined wasn't the same of what, as what they see on screen. So that was, the sight part is very powerful. But in that film, the music and the spirituals, Roll Jordan Roll is played in there. It's a very powerful song. And it builds. Um, they didn't smell things, you know, in the theater, but the students were overwhelmed. And when they, they came out of the theater, they loved the movie, but they came out emotionally just um, exhausted. And they said, you know, Dr. Barry, we felt everything, you know, and some of them, we were at a theater where you could have food. And some of them said, I couldn't eat because I was so overwhelmed with the sight, the sound, and everything else. All of my other senses were in such high gear that I couldn't finish the food that I had ordered, you know. So I felt like, you know, on the one hand, they really understood it and they were able to connect with it in a way that me just telling them about the book 12 Years of Slavery, having them just read it, wouldn't have been the same. Sounds like they were really prepared for the whole experience in yes. a way that they could take in all the senses. They could take in so much more information by being prepared. Absolutely. The way that you'd prepared them. Um, you use this with younger kids, too. Um, y- yes. How, how's it? Well, tell us a little bit about using it with people of different ages. Well, I have taught the senses of slavery um, from kindergartners or really first grade, kindergarten, first grade, up to senior citizens, because I've given lectures at senior citizen um, facilities or lifelong educational programs, and it works across the whole span. Um, I I just recently did a cotton exercise with some 10-year-olds, a fifth grade class, three fifth grade classes, and I was amazed at how well they understood the complexity and the diversity of the institution of slavery. They understood slavery because I gave them the tools to think about slavery in an empowering and honest way. And it was something that they could access. They were dancing at the end of class, doing the work songs. They were like imagining picking, but it wasn't like doom and gloom. Oh, this is so depressing. This is so sad. Um, And it wasn't necessarily celebratory. It was a way to enter into slavery that wasn't so frightening to 10-year-olds. And I think they really got it. Well, it sounds like a really successful program. Thank you. Thank you for coming and talking to us about it. Thank you for having me. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with supplemental documents, suggestions for further reading, and correlations to this Texas and National Educational Standards for History and Geography on our website, 
blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-Minute History. That's the numerals 1-5-Minute History. You can also find a link to suggest topics for upcoming episodes. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-Minute History do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.